Chapter Two of the Falcon on the Baltic. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Falcon on the Baltic by E. F. Knight. The new boat leaks. It was high water the next morning at seven o'clock, so we turned out of our snug berths, rather unwillingly, I remember, to get under way. The strong northeast wind was still blowing, and it was uncomfortably cold. The sky was heavy with snow clouds, and a few flakes did fall in the afternoon. It was a strange day for mid-May, but we were destined to meet with plenty more or less foul weather in the course of this cruise. A friend wrote to me when I was in the Baltic, and described it as being a real jubilee summer at home. I tremble while I quote his words, for I know that dreadful penalties are inflicted by a jubilee-satiated people on any who now utter that name. But be it remembered that I was away during the jollifications, and did not do my share of the infinite jubilee talk, so surely I may be pardoned for now writing the tabooed word. But whatever the summer may have been, the spring in England was a boisterous one, and it blew hard during the latter half of May. In June, while I was in the North Sea, gales and strong winds from the north followed each other in rapid succession. And lastly, when I reached the Baltic in midsummer, and the weather at home was the finest possible, the northwest wind still relentlessly pursued us. In Denmark, a proverbially windy country, the season was exceptionally stormy. In consequence of all this, we were frequently weather-bound, as a rule in the least interesting harbors for several days at a time and indeed had it not been for our ill luck in this respect the voyage would have been completed by a much earlier date it was the very day to test the yacht and reveal her faults the wind was fresh the lee scuppers were generally under water and there was a choppy sea in the lower reaches of the river the boat behaved splendidly she evidently turned to windward in a much smarter manner than she had done the previous year and we felt that we had the right sort of craft under us. We had reached the lower hope, and were talking in rather a sanguine spirit, and congratulating ourselves on the improvement that had been effected in the vessel, when Wright happened to go below and light his pipe. As soon as he was in the cabin, I heard him utter what may be politely called an exclamation of surprise, and one of anything but pleased surprise. Leaving the tiller for a moment, I looked into the cabin, and to my dismay beheld the water high above the floor washing backwards and forwards over our beds while the blankets and mattresses were floating to leeward we were evidently leaking at a very great rate now the boat was quite tight when we left hammersmith so we could come to but one conclusion she must be straining badly right i am afraid so sir and after all these timbers have been put into her too what can it mean we did not say much but across both our minds flashed the horrible suspicion that the boat in which we had placed such confidence might be too rickety to stand much tumbling about in a sea way and be quite unfit to cross the north sea it was strange however that she had shown no signs of this weakness before then we set to work to pump her out after some half dozen strokes the pump choked we pulled up the small hatch in the cabin floor that covers the pump well and made a curious discovery it would have been strange indeed had the pump worked properly for the well was full of deal shavings that lazy scoundrel the hammersmith self-called 
ship carpenter had evidently after completing some work in the cabin stowed away his shavings here to save himself the trouble of throwing them overboard if we had had that carpenter on board i think we should have first compelled him to eat his shavings and then have cast him into the sea to find his way to the nearest shore as best he could surely such a punishment would not have been too severe for a man who out of sheer indolence risked the lives of others in this fashion i think mr pimsoll would agree with me at last we succeeded in clearing the pump and as it was luckily a far more powerful one than is generally put into yachts of our size we soon had the water out of her we were now in sea reach and as the ebb was nearly done we ran into the little creek of holy haven in canvey island for the night not feeling by any means so sanguine about the seaworthiness of our boat as we had done on starting we let go our anchor opposite the coast guard station and proceeded to wring some of the water out of our mattresses and blankets and to hang them out to dry but our beds to put it mildly were somewhat damp that night as they were very often afterwards during the cruise we found that it was necessary to pump the boat out every four hours or so in order to keep the water from rising above the cabin floor but it must be remembered that ours was a very shallow vessel and that our floor cloth would be wet and the lee bunk under water if we were sailing when there were but a few gallons on board very uncomfortable as a leaky vessel and above all others a shallow boat should be perfectly water-tight holy haven is the snuggest little harbour in all the thames estuary for small craft there are two houses opposite the anchorage the coast guard station and an old-fashioned inn whose eggs and bacon have comforted many a yachtsman all around extends a flat country of marsh and pasture intersected by broad ditches looking very much like a dutch landscape and the likeness is increased by the presence of quite a fleet of shouts for the creek is much frequented by the dutch eel-boats the reason being so a dutch skipper whose statement may or may not be true told me that the hollander eels will not live in any british waters save those of the muddy channel that surrounds canvey island i have heard that the dikes which protect canvey island from inundation were long since constructed by a dutchman very much after the fashion of those in his own country is it possible that the eels on this account imagine they are still in holland and so not suffering from homesickness keep up their spirits and flourish here the learned people who recently carried on a long correspondence in one of our leading reviews on the intelligence of brutes would do well to investigate this interesting subject we remained in holy haven for the night and on the following morning i decided to take the falcon to rochester where i could run her ashore and discover what was amiss with her so after breakfast we again put to sea in our sieve and sailed across the broad estuary of the thames to the medway it was still cold but constant exercise at the pump kept us warm in the medway we overtook several barges bound for rochester wright who has sailed these seas before recognized some of his old friends and he saluted them in proper bargee fashion carried away by his pride at seeing our vessel leave one rather smart barge astern he held up a rope's end to her skipper a delicate way of bragging of one's own speed understood by all mariners so you've come down to shipping on board of a dutch galley hot at last eh jack sang out the skipper by way of repartee between two whiffs of his pipe there was indeed something dutch in the falcon's appearance and a remark of this nature was often passed on us by facetious strangers 
there was a twinkle in wright's eye as he gave his quid a twist and called out in reply you ain't forgotten your foghorn this time have you jim the crew of the barge roared with laughter at this sally but i could not see the point of the joke till wright explained that chap jim you see sir was a terrible greenhorn when he first went to sea a few years back some one or other was always playing a trick on him one evening the barge he was on was sailing by sheerness and the skipper happening to look at the clock saw it wanted a minute or so to nine he remembered that a gun was always fired at sheerness at nine so being a mischievous sort of chap he sings out to the green hand hi here jim come on deck at once and bring the foghorn with you jim tumbles up now blow that there foghorn for your life cries the skipper what for asked jim looking round don't ask what for but blow you lubber it's the rule here if a vessel don't salute sheerness with her foghorn as she passes they fire at her jim believing it all takes the horn and blows like mad harder harder cries the skipper they can't hear that they'll shoot us all if he ain't louder so jim was blowing away with all the might he had when suddenly goes off the nine o'clock gun and he gives a yell chucks the foghorn on deck and rushes below to hide from the cannonballs oh he was a green chap then he's a bit smarter now but that story of the foghorn will always follow him we reached rochester early in the afternoon and anchored among some other yachts not far below the bridge on the following morning we brought the falcon alongside a boat builder's yard at high tide and at low water when she was high and dry we proceeded to examine her minutely the usual crowd of yacht sailors carpenters and nondescript nautical loafers that that hangs about a shipbuilder's yard was soon around us ready to proffer gratuitous advice of more or less value much of it of no value advice however in all cases driven into the poor landlubber of an amateur sailor by these learned professionals with language deliberate and dogmatic each had a different infallible opinion of his own as to the cause of our vessel's leaking but all agreed that she was not strained she showed no signs of that serious fault my own idea was that the tar which had kept the water out of her during her last year's cruise had been burnt off and the varnish which had been put on in its place being insufficient to keep her tight she was leaking all over her skin it was easy to account for her not having taken in water at hammersmith for while lying there the mud had gotten into her seams and given her what sailors call a black wall caulking very efficacious as long as the vessel remained stationary but apt to wash out after half an hour's sailing some of the wiseacres on the yard suggested that we should have her caulked throughout but we knew better than that for a diagonally built boat tightest of all boats when she is tight is the most difficult to deal with when she is leaky it is impossible to caulk her even in the most delicate manner without damaging her and forcing the two skins apart again so beautifully constructed was our vessel that it would have been impossible to insert even the smallest penknife between her close planking far less a clumsy caulking tool at last the master shipwright of the yard who had spoken little and listened less during the consultation over the invalid but who had been employed in scientifically sounding with a mallet and closely examining every portion of the falcon's bottom as he crawled under her in the mud gave his opinion it's the old story he said the boat isn't strained at all she's as strong as when she was built it's only along the garboard streak she leaks she hasn't been caulked there for years see here 
and he pulled out a bit of oakum that was decidedly rotten when they scrape the toe off this boat's bottom they scrape the caulking out too it's just a little bit of stuff along her keel she wants and i'll guarantee that she'll then be as dry as the drums inside on hearing this the crew of the falcon felt happy and sanguine again his explanation seemed so probable a one the garboard street i must explain for the benefit of some readers is the range of planks along a vessel's keel in a diagonally built boat the seam only is caulked so having confidence in this wise man i delivered the falcon over to his care and took train to london in perfect faith that i should return to find my vessel as tight as the tightest drum that was ever beat upon but i am afraid that some of my readers will get very weary of reading about that leak it was the great feature of the cruise and one we would willingly have dispensed with i have much to write yet concerning the many and fruitless attempts to cure it until that happy day when being hundreds of miles from home with no professional by to doctor the poor vessel we two amateurs took her in hand ourselves with the result that we succeeded gloriously in effecting a complete and permanent cure of what seemed a hopelessly chronic complaint to stop a leak is easy enough when you have found your leak but to find it is not always so easy as some would imagine it is the diagnosis that distinguishes the great doctor i think wright myself could now do a good business as quack leak finders business detained me in town until the nineteenth when i bade london a final farewell and returned to rochester i found that our shipwright had completed his work and was confident that the leak was stopped wright who had been living on board all the while was not so confident you see sir he said you can't tell how she is yet lying here she's only afloat an hour each tide so she hasn't time to leak much i've had to pump her out though each day but that may have been the rainwater that gets into her through the well and it has been raining ever since you've been away oh this jubilee spring a heavy gale of wind that commenced at southwest and shifted right round the compass now detained us at rochester for four days not only did it blow but it rained and hailed and snowed in turns and for twenty-four hours the wind attained hurricane force the papers were full of accounts of disasters at sea and on land being thus weather-bound and having nothing else to do we anxiously observed the yacht's behavior each day when the water was round her and soon convinced ourselves that she leaked as much as ever our shipwright puzzled but energetic determined not to be beaten set to work again coming to the conclusion that some of the planking along the bilges had worked loose he screwed them up and once more informed us that it was impossible for the yacht to leak now on the twenty fourth the weather improved somewhat and the wind shifted to the north we sailed from rochester in the afternoon and anchored off port victoria for the night even as a man who receives a letter which he knows contains news of vital importance fears to open it and hesitates a while so were we for a long time afraid to break our suspense by looking into the cabin and learning the progress of our leak we dared not hope that the shipwright had indeed been successful this time but after we had let go the anchor and stowed the sails i summoned sufficient courage not indeed to look myself but to ask wright to do so he went below and then i heard his voice declare the fatal news the water is above the floor sir she leaks as much as ever upon this we became desperate and decided that as it was beyond the power of man to remedy this mysterious evil we must make the best of it 
though so serious a leak was likely to bring us a good deal of discomfort there was one thing certain we could not abandon or even postpone our cruise on account of it how that leak haunted us we both suffered for weeks from a sort of leak mania by day we were ever watching to see if the water was coming in faster by night we dreamt of giant leaks and choking pumps we felt a morbid shame for the skeleton in our cupboard and were terrified lest anyone should suspect its existence in harbour we used to choose the dead of night when no people were about to work the pumps and we would immediately stop the operation if anyone walked by even as if we had been committing some heinous crime port victoria has a high-sounding name but consists of a railway station a usually deserted railway hotel and nothing more on either side of it is a desolate shore and behind it extend the swamps of the isle of grain a dismal place enough in all conscience but luckily a ferry steamer runs at frequent intervals to cheerful sheerness on the opposite coast we were anchored close under the shore in the company of quite a fleet of weather-bound barges i pulled off in the dinghy and landed on the railway pier it was blowing and raining hard at the time and only one human being was to be seen braving the elements this was a coast guard with a ruddy nose and a suspicious eye carrying a telescope under his arm he scanned me curiously as i stepped on shore what is the name of your vessel he asked the falcon of london where from rochester not foreign no he seemed disappointed on hearing this i thought you was a dutch yacht by your build he said then he walked by my side to the hotel and in the course of conversation his suspicion seemed vanished he thought and became communicative as is the way of a mariner who anticipates beer we are looking out he explained for a cutter called the mary she passes herself off as a dutch yacht and has been suspected of smuggling we have received information about her and think we'll catch her this time i thought your vessel was the mary it was interesting to be thus mistaken for a bold smuggler and if my boat had been the mary what would you have done telegraphed to sheerness and they'd have come over and seized you after partaking of a pint of beer at my expense the guardian of the customs was quite reassured as to the falcon's respectability at the hotel bar were gathered together all the skippers of the fleet of weather-bound barges sipping their respective drinks and grumbling sorely at the villainous weather some of these were bound for harwich and the north and had been lying here for a fortnight waiting for a change i joined this disconsolate conclave and did my share of reviling the elements until i found this amusement wax monotonous when i returned on board and pumped the vessel out this was a never-failing means of employing one's spare moments on the falcon my intention was to sail for harwich on the following morning once or twice i awoke in the night and felt that the yacht was jumping about a good deal while the wind was howling furiously at two a m i turned out on deck and looked around it was a wild dawn the wind had shifted to the northeast and it was blowing half a gale at least the rain was falling in torrents and the broad estuary of the medway was white with breaking waves it was too chilly to stay long on deck so i went below again and got under my warm blankets how does it look sir asked wright sleepily from his own berth worse than ever i replied no starting for us to-day so i'm turning into bed again and now pursued by our usual ill luck 
we lay weather-bound off this dismal spot for four whole days more tumbling about on the short seas in this peculiarly lively fashion that distinguishes this boat of mine the fleet of weather-bound barges was augmented by daily arrivals till the hotel bar was almost inaccessible for the crowd of grumbling master mariners who were mitigating their annoyance with strong waters twas an ill wind but it blew the victoria hotel good on the afternoon of friday the twenty seventh the weather improved and the glass began to rise with promising steadiness i looked out at three o'clock on saturday morning and found that it had become even too fine not a breath of air stirred the water the sky was cloudless but over the sea hung a light haze indicative of a sultry day it was high water and time to start so i turned right out we hoisted the useless sails weighed anchor and allowed the yacht to drift slowly out to sea with the ebb while we gave her steerage way occasionally with the sweeps so as to avoid fouling buoys and anchored vessels we were not alone for the weather-bound barges also got under way so too did a great number of fishing boats and we all floated lazily out of the estuary together we saw a large fleet of yachts at anchor off south end pier for the first important race of the year was to be sailed or drifted this day the course was to be from south end to harwich so we were likely to see some of the sport perhaps the finish for we had seven hours start of the competing vessels the sun rose higher and the heat became tropical then a very feeble northeast wind sprang up and enabled us to tack slowly past the nor near here we saw rising from the water the mass of a large vessel that had been run into and sunk a few days before around her hovered a crowd of fishing boats and other small craft whose crews were busy stripping the vessel's rigging the scene reminded one of a pack of jackals gathering round a dead lion not that i have ever seen this by the way then the wind dropped altogether and as often happens in a calm all our fleet collected into a knot drawn together by mutual attraction like a flock of magnetic ducks in a wash-hand basin this i have seen so the simile is legitimate we all lay idly smoking on the decks of our respective vessels and conversed as we drifted across each other's bows or came so close that we had to shove off with boat-hooks and take to the sweeps to prevent collisions the bargy skippers grumbled at the calm with even more bitterness than they had reviled the gales which had detained them so long off port victoria a bargy skipper is supposed to be the most inveterate grumbler of all seafaring men but there was indeed some provocation on this occasion even on Karen's bark was never heard a chorus of more despairing and profane lamentation than that which arose all around us from these becalmed billy boys but at last a very light breeze sprang up from the southwest giving us steerage way and dispersing our fleet again we set all the canvas possible on the falcon to drive her along for we wished to be in harwich for sunday i think wright was the more anxious of the two for his home is at mistley near harwich and he looked forward to a holiday with his friends we had a large tan lug sail on board which we bent to a long boat hook and set as a square sail on the opposite side of the mainsail we even converted our jibs into water sails but do all we could though we left the barges astern we did not travel fast for the wind was only sufficient to swear by at one o'clock we were met by a strong flood and as it was impossible to stem it we let go our anchor on the shallows inside the shears lighthouse here we remained for nearly three hours 
by which time the tide had covered the maplin stands by which time the tide had covered the maplin sands we got our anchor up again and sailed across the flat thus cheating the strength of the current an old bargee trick on this coast at high water the weather changed very suddenly the wind shifted to the northeast and freshened quickly began to rain and looked dirty while instead of the oppressive sultriness of the morning there was a chilliness as of november on the sea our east coast is not a popular yachting ground in consequence of the paucity of good harbors but on this day there was an unusually good show of pleasure vessels around us these had evidently come out to see the race but we could see nothing that looked like one of the competing vessels until late in the afternoon when we were near the swin middle lightship we perceived a smart-looking yacht to windward overhauling us very rapidly there's one of them at last sir cried wright there was no doubt about it i looked at her through the glass yes she's one of the fast ones too what a pace she's going at she was soon up to us and rushed by as if we had been standing still i've said that turning to windward is not the falcon's strong point and the yacht was sailing i am afraid and ashamed to say how much nearer the wind than ourselves i never saw a vessel go like that before exclaimed my man agape with wonder nor i what can she be and look at her mainsail i've never seen so big a one in a yacht she was the only one of the racers in sight at the time and we saw none of the others afterwards for the darkness fell before they came up what could this mysterious clipper be so far ahead of them all had i read the papers regularly while we laid off port victoria i should have guessed her identity not till i reached harwich did i discover that this was no less than the renowned thistle the anticipated redeemer of the queen's cup sailing her maiden race if i remember rightly she arrived at harwich four hours before the second yacht as we had not the thistle under us we knew that we could not reach harwich that night the tide would soon turn and then the current as well as the wind would be against us so it became necessary to find as snug a berth as is possible on this unprotected coast until morning at dusk we made out the whittaker spit buoy so we tacked in towards the coast with the intention of bringing up in the wallet several of our old companions the barges following our example it was a dirty evening the northeast wind howled and the drizzling rain fell steadily the wallet is an exposed anchorage and a vessel brought up here is forced to get under way should it come on to blow hard but we had no choice of stopping places this night it was nearly dark as we passed the spitway buoy and the scene around was dismal in the extreme the barges looked ghostly in the indistinct light above was a gray rainy sky below was a gray tumbling sea of muddy water the sense of cheerlessness was heightened by the bell buoy which told out its warning in tones doleful as a funeral bell at last we let go our anchors in about four fathoms of water and rolled about uncomfortably all night the yacht seemed to leak harder than ever we had to turn out twice and pump to prevent the water from drenching us as we lay in our bunks we got under way early the next morning and tacked down to harwich against a fresh northeast wind we let go our anchor in the harbor at midday having been thirty-one hours from sheerness so this could not be called a smart voyage End of chapter 2